Hello and welcome to this episode of Let's Talk About by Kangaroo Minds. I am Vedika and our topic for today is Mental Health First Aid. For this conversation, we have with us today none other than CEO of Mental Health First Aid England, Simon Blake. As CEO, Simon focuses on leading the organization to achieve its vision of normalizing conversations and attitudes towards mental health, as well as looking to train one in 10 of the population in mental health skills. In 2020, Simon was named as the Global Diversity Leader and made it to the 2021 Pride Power List as well. He is a writer, campaigner, and trainer, and was awarded the OBE for his services to the voluntary sector and towards young people in the year 2011. However, before we begin our conversation today, we would like to put out a little trigger warning for our audience. If at any point during this conversation, should you find yourself feeling triggered or distressed, we urge you to take a step back and look after yourself. Should you need any additional support resources, you can also find them on our website. Now, without taking much time, let's dive in to hear more from Simon. Simon, welcome to the episode, and it's an absolute pleasure to have you with us today. And I'm really looking forward to the conversations and all your insights. Thank you for having me. It's a real pleasure. So, Simon, I'm going to start off with, I think, you know, my first question, which is mainly around, can you tell us a little bit about what is the mental health first aid training all about and, you know, who can sign up for this? Sure. So mental health first aid training is available in um, lots of different parts um, of the world in 26 different countries. And as you said, I'm based in England. Um, and But it's it's got common features. And really, it's about understanding about mental health about signs and, and symptoms of poor mental health or, or mental uh, illness um, and how to provide um, initial uh, uh, a conversation, how to enable um, effective signposting and support for somebody who needs help. But importantly, it's also about understanding our own uh, upbringing and how that's impacted on our understanding of mental health. So our frame of reference, what do we understand about mental health? understanding about stigma um, and the role of stigma in preventing people getting the help they need. So really about that context of mental health, mental illness, stigma, the impact of stigma, and then how do we um, spot signs and symptoms and provide you know, that initial point of contact and support for people um, and enable us to signpost uh, in, into other, other, say, other places of help. So would you say that, you know, to do the mental health first aid program, does someone need to be a mental health professional? Can they, do they have to be a medical practitioner or can anyone take up this program? No, the, the, the really important thing about mental health first aid is, is our belief that everybody, anybody should be able to have that initial conversation that people need to have that understanding. And our specific mission in England is to train one in 10 of the adult population because we believe that will create the cultural tipping point and the cultural context by which we actually have enough people who understand and can have conversations. So anybody can do the training. Um, and the really important point I think that you make that is at the end of it, you are not a mental health professional. You're not a psychiatrist, you're not a psychologist, you're not a counselor, you're not a therapist. You are a, a, a person um, who has got some basic understanding and skills around mental health um, that enables you to have those conversations and be that first point of support. 
So I think you, know, you mentioned something really important and you know, I myself have done the adult mental health course training from MHFA England. But just for the audience, you know, can you further highlight on the aspect that, you know, what is the role of a mental health first aider and, you know, what can you do and what can you not do in that position? Sure. So I think it's really important to say that if you do a mental health first aid course, you learn skills which enable you to have those conversations and do the signposting. If you then and you can use those in your family, in your community, you know, in any different environment. So I, as somebody who's trained in mental health first aid, yeah, will use that skills and knowledge and understanding in my personal life, you know, uh, with my partner, with my friends, in my family, in my sporting uh, interests. And that is different. That isn't me as a mental health first aider, it's somebody with those skills. But then in an organisation, you might be a mental health first aider, which uh, has a, a specific role. And that role is really, um, again, about being uh, identified as somebody that you can have a conversation with if you um, are worried or, 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 or feeling unwell or, or want to get some, uh, some information which enables you to, um, to access further support or to understand um, uh, what might be happening. But also mental health first aiders might also be proactively looking to see if they see somebody who doesn't look well or, or, or is, 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 yeah, there are some changes in their behaviour. And so if you are a mental health first aider in a role, it's really important that your organisation is clear about that role. How is that connected to a line manager? How is it different from the human resources um, department? Um, and, and so... A mental health first aid should be another form of support within the organisation, not the only form of support. Mm -hmm. I think that's really important, you know, that um, the various contexts within which uh, a mental health first aider can act and look out for people, be it, you know, in a micro level in terms of friends, family, or, you know, just looking beyond in terms of organisations looking out within our communities for other people as well. On our website, we've got a guide for mental health first aiders and also a guide for organisations about having mental health first aiders, which just talks about yeah, that importance of understanding your role, understanding your boundaries, understanding mm -hmm. when you might need to step back as a mental health first aider, and then for organisations to think about a whole organisation approach and to have a mental health strategy of which mental health first aid is, is, is part of that. So you just mentioned a very interesting point, which is around the boundaries of being a mental health first aider. So do you want to tell us a little bit, you know, about what kind of boundaries should people in that role have? The, the most important one, of course, is that you feel um, uh, well and able to, to take on the role. So that's the most important one, that mm -hmm. we you know, practice that self-care, which we... Uh, demonstrate which we are so clear is is really important and that you know if at any point for any reason you don't feel as though you're in a position to undertake the role then that is a really really important boundary and you know somebody might step back for two or three months and then say that they can do it again you know either there's too much going on at work or there might be something going on in their personal life or they might be experiencing you know, a particular episode uh, of their own health. So there might be any reason why somebody says, mm -hmm. I'm not in a position to do it. And that's the first boundary. 
The second then is being really clear that you are not a medical professional, you're not a mental health professional, you are not about diagnosing, you are not about advising, you're about somebody who has a conversation and then can signpost to other forms of help and advice if people need it. And that's the other really important bit. You know, we are not, we're not, um, well, in, in the role, we are not you know, clinical professionals. Um, we're definitely not in a position to, to do that. And then also, I guess, it's also not a therapy uh, relationship, a therapeutic relationship either. So, you know, recognising uh, uh, that boundary that whilst you might give support to somebody more than once or provide information or be a point of contact more than once, that it, it isn't an ongoing therapeutic relationship either. Right. So, you know, that being said, um, you know, why should someone consider doing the MHFA training according to you? So when I did it, I wish that I'd done it 20 years before. It was one of those courses where I just thought, wow, this would have really helped me mm. to have been a better partner, a better friend, a better son, a better brother, uh, yeah, and, and a better manager um, at work. And the reason that I thought that is I really, for the first time, having done lots of awareness training about mental health, but what this did is it equipped me with um, a, a real understanding around um, what you can practically do when you believe that somebody needs help or when somebody comes to access help. And to do that in a way which felt as though it was within the, um, within the skills and, and, and boundaries that I was confident to do. So my real belief is that you know, all of us uh, could benefit from doing training which helps us to understand that we all have mental health. You know, each and every one of us has a brain, so we all have mental health that we understand the difference between mental health, promoting mental health, between mental health and mental illness, and that we understand and recognise the signs and symptoms, but also the role and negative impact of stigma and what we can do to challenge that. So for me, it really is a, a, a set of skills which anybody and everybody in a range of different settings and contexts could really benefit from. And then in the context of organisations, having mental health first aiders enables an organisation to demonstrate that they take mental health seriously, that they recognise its importance mm -hmm. and that they invest in the time and energy to enable people to provide that support to their employees. Right. I think, like, you know, as you said, even um, for myself, after doing the mental health first aid, the adult training, I think it makes you feel a little more comfortable when you go out and help people. I mean, I know a lot of people tell you, okay, you know what, just listen actively and, you know, you'll hear the whole don't be judgmental, but sometimes you just don't know how to do it. So I think the training kind of puts you in that space where you feel more equipped to be able to help someone out. And at the same time, just knowing how to recognize resources which you can signpost someone to you know, the different kind of issues that people are having, like even the do's and don'ts around helping someone with a range of different conditions. Really important, you know, because we so often want to help that we actually don't realise that the best thing that we can do to help is to listen mm -hmm. and to really listen so somebody really feels seen and heard. And I, 
that's the bit which I hear time and time again, people say, I realize I don't have to be an expert. I just had to listen well. I realized that I didn't have to, um, I, I, it didn't help for me to say, I know exactly how you feel, to just listen and say, that sounds really difficult. Or yeah, to know that you could confidently say, um, I, I, don't, I don't know, that's, yeah, that's outside of my understanding, but we can try to get help for you. So just those, those skills that sometimes I think we, we think we're better than we actually are at listening. Um, sometimes I think we're better than we actually are at demonstrating empathy. And, and this course really helps you to do that. No, I definitely agree with that. And, you know, that being said, how would you say that, you know, the mental health first aid training is different from psychological first aid? Because a lot of times we see that, you know, the terms are used interchangeably. So psychological um, first aid is, is really about um, an immediate response to traumatic incidents or disasters. So it's designed to reduce the incidence of post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, and the basic principle of that is that support from somebody who's trained in psychological first aid, um, that's done, that is in, an intervention that is, uh, is, is quick after the incident, may prevent long-term injury. So it's very much around um, incident and, and, and disaster and trauma-based. Whereas mental health first aid is really about that wider recognition in everyday life about the impact of, of poor mental health, of mental illness, and what we can do to spot signs and symptoms, move on. So, um, so they are really quite different. You know, one is very much, psychological first aid is very much about trauma and disasters, and mental health first aid is very much about everyday circumstances, that longer term and, and community uh, 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 approach. Right. But, you know, in terms of looking at the larger ecosystem around mental health and mental health services, where would you say that mental health first aid England and the work that you do sort of fits into that puzzle? Sure. So I guess it depends how you want to draw the, the sort of ecosystem, isn't it? And this is very much about a public mental health campaign. It's a, mm -hmm. about promotion of positive mental health, um, about learning and understanding about how to protect our own and other people's mental health and well-being, and to ensure early intervention so that when there are early signs of poor mental health, mental illness, that, that you get that, that early support. Um, and so it's very much, at, I guess, at that for everybody uh, sort of uh, uh, level right. of intervention. Whereas services, yeah, whether that's um, uh, mental health promotion services might be targeted, they might be um, for specific groups or specific communities, mental health services for people with, um, with mental illness or particular uh, uh, conditions. So this is, is, is really that sort of, I guess the wraparound is about trying to create that mental health literacy in the wider population so that we can really um, all do all that we can to, to look after our own and each other's mental health to get a greater level of awareness, which enables us to um, look after and, and protect ourselves rather than in the system, in the services where people have a mental health illness or a mental health condition and need specific um, help or those targeted interventions where we know there are higher risks of 
poor mental health outcomes and, and inequalities. Yeah, a very important part about like which even I felt about the MHFA program is that it targets mental health literacy and awareness. It's about you know promoting mental health and how to help individuals in distress. But keeping that in mind, one of the challenges that I have personally come across, and I know we've spoken about it earlier as well, is it that like you know just like other fields, there are a lot of counterfeits in the space of mental health and the risk which pseudo professionals and um, unauthentic, if I could say, training programs pose is something which, you know, I wanted to ask you about that, you know, how can you check the authenticity of a program which is being delivered in the name of mental health first aid? Sure. Well, one of the most uh, significant ways that you can do that is whether it is a licensed provider uh, under the Mental Health First Aid International Programme. And Mental Health First Aid International is based in Australia, which is where the concept of Mental Health First Aid originated from and founder was Betty Kitchener. And there are licensed programs around the world, uh, licensed by Mental Health First Aid, and they, we have to prove that we are sticking to the design and principles of, of Mental Health First Aid. Um, on the Mental Health First Aid England website, there are some principles which underpin uh, Mental Health First Aid. Those are globally recognised principles which have been set out by Mental Health First Aid um, International. And so for me, the first would be, have you got a licensed provider? That would be your number one. But yeah, there are others uh, who are not licensed provider, but even if they're not a licensed provider, do they uh, meet those principles which are set up by the, the, the authority, the international authority, on mental health first aid. I guess the other bit and the bit which really worries me is that there are very short programs. There are very short programs and you know it takes time to learn about the different conditions around stigma, around the skills, around the the step-by-step -step process which we use um, and you can't do that in one hour, in two hours or in three hours um, and so really that time you know if it's online you know is it about the equivalent of two days and if it's less than that actually um i would have some questions as to whether it's living now some of that may be self-directed learning and some of that may be you know live learning but overall it should be about that sort of 14 hours um worth of time and then the other thing which i think is really really important is any program that doesn't adopt positive language, inclusive language, you know, is, is one to be really worried about. We know that there are some programs where actually some of the language that's used, some of the, uh, the, the slides reinforce stigma about mental health. So you know, the kite mark, the international kite mark, does it meet the quality principles? It, does it have sufficient time? And is it using inclusive and positive language? Right, because, you know, as I said, one of the concerns which sometimes which people don't realize is, you know, how do we check because there are programs running in the name of, you know, okay, they'll call themselves peer mental health first aid or campus mental health first aid, or you'll have a half day, you know, certificate in mental health aware. But that's where the concern begins because, you know, as you know, and I know, and anyone who's done the MHFA would know that the first step towards the LG is to assess for risk of 
suicide or to assess the crisis level and if you're not competently trained to do that i think as such those conversations are hard you know one of the you know the feelings we always get is are we accidentally going to put the idea in someone's head so proper training ensures that we don't end up in that path but then if you're not adequately trained you don't have a licensed provider you may run into that risk and the really important bit is that yeah, it's, it's irresponsible for people to say it's mental health first aid if it isn't, because it means that people who haven't had the appropriate level of training may believe that they are more skilled than they thought, mm -hmm. or indeed to think, well, I've left that course not knowing what to do and therefore undermining the principle of mental health first aid. So it is really, really important that those those, those quality standards, those principles are, are upheld. Uh, uh, and you know, that's, as you say, why people should be aware you know, about actually the key bit of a mental health first aid programme is it's a skills-based course. If there's any course without skills uh, and skill development and skill practice in it, then it's an awareness course. And uh, nothing wrong with an awareness course. Yeah, we all need to have different levels, but it's... Yeah, if, if, if you want to drive a lorry, you don't learn to drive a car. <laughs> you learn right. to drive a car and then drive a lorry. So it's knowing what you are skilled and able to do. I think that's a very valid point, right? That there's no harm running awareness programs, but the minute you start giving people titles, which are actually linked to specific skill sets, to specific roles, I think that's when it starts getting a little dangerous. But moving forward, you know, who would you say is actually qualified to deliver a mental health first aid program? So um, we at MHFA England have um, instructor members mm -hmm. and they go through a rigorous uh, instructor training program. Uh, and that instructor training program is accredited by the Royal Society of Public Health um, in England. And those people are trained to deliver the licensed program which we deliver at MHFA England and 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 so from an MHFA England perspective yeah it's anybody who is able to to demonstrate that they have been they are a certified instructor and instructor member from MHFA England. I think the reason I primarily ask this is sort of going back to you know when we spoke about the roles as a mental health first aid or is to sort of know that, you know, just because you are a mental health first aider or if you are a mental health professional, that doesn't automatically qualify you to be able to deliver an MHFA program. Because sometimes, again, looking at a quality check, I think that also becomes a parameter. Yeah. It is about having the, you know, the knowledge and skills um, to, and qualification to be and in, an instructor. That doesn't mean that somebody you know, who's skilled at something else doesn't have lots of knowledge and lots of understanding. It, just, it means that they're not qualified or certified to deliver an, mm -hmm. an instructor, uh, mental health first aid course as, as licensed by us. Right. How do you feel that having an understanding of mental health first aid can help individuals make a difference on a larger scale, so within communities, within workplaces? So what I see and what brings a real smile to my face is, you know, that people learn the mental health first aid skills and they may or may not go on to take a mental health first aid role, but they also just get that fire in their belly. 
they had that awareness and the understanding of the injustice you know, around uh, uh, mental health and mental health stigma um, and inequalities that drive mental health. And they champion it and they will use the awareness weeks and they'll have conversations over dinner and they'll talk about it with their friends and they'll make sure that they post something on uh, on Facebook or on LinkedIn about you know, whether it's suicide awareness or you know, World Mental Health Day and the themes around you know, young people's leadership or what, whatever it is. And so really what mental health first aiders often do is, is, is without necessarily knowing, become part of a movement for change. Mm-hmm. You know, they, 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 and they take it into their communities. You know, and and you know, much as the conversation that we, I've had with you, you know, you're doing this podcast now, you do all the work mm-hmm. with Kangaroo Minds and and you do so much more than mental health first aid. And that's part of your, your work and part of your conversations. And, and I think that that's what's so inspiring, you know, that you learn skills, but you develop your passion and you get that fire, what we call the fire in your belly, and you're determined to make change. And, and, and that's, yeah, absolutely delightful. No, I think as, no, I mean, thank you for all the kind things that you said, but I think mental health first aid also, not just gives you a better understanding of, you know, yourself, you become more aware of what you're going through, but it also really normalizes the entire conversation. Like you can actually draw a distinction between mental health and mental illness. So, you know, you know, if one in five people have a mental illness, but five in five people have mental health. And I think that awareness really comes through with the program. You can see on a scale, you know, how people are doing and it's not it's not a black and white thing. And I think that's what the program also teaches you to be aware that you can be anywhere on that spectrum. Yeah, and I think you also learn about what you can do for yourself. So you, you know, I'm, not a, I, I'm not a mental health um, uh, expert. I, I, you know, I, I've come in you know, three or four years ago and learned so much. But what I've learned in my professional life, I've also realizing now in my personal life, you know, the importance of sleep. The importance of not drinking too much alcohol and, and, and drinking water, the importance of exercise, the importance of good nutrition, the importance of making breaks from work. So and and and, and resting well and, and and doing the things which which give you joy. And so that's why it feels so relevant as well, isn't it? It's about this makes the world a better place. And all of us, hopefully, um, want the world to be a better, fairer more equal and just place and 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 this is part of that so yeah that's that's it yeah that's it excites me really to think of so many people getting that understanding for themselves for their children for their families for their communities i think that also what you mentioned really ties in very well with you know what was this year's theme about like you know mental health in an unequal world especially looking at the way mhfa impacts the inequalities which exist But looking at now marginalized communities, you know, be it uh, ethnic groups, be it the LGBTQI community, be it refugees or religious minorities, how do you think we can better look out for them? So the really important piece in this is recognizing that um, that mental health is both a cause and consequence of inequalities. Mm but that mental illness doesn't discriminate yes. and that none of us can afford to be silent uh, you know, where there are inequalities 
Um, and, and so really it's about recognizing the impact of prejudice, discrimination and inequality on mental health and on people's experience of mental health services and mental health support. And always looking through that lens of inequality. You know, that if you look at COVID where people say, well, we're all in the same boat. You know, we're not all in the same boat. You know, it, that people say time and time again, you know, we're all in the same storm, but some people are in yachts, some people in canoes and some people you know, clinging onto dinghies. And, and, and that is you know, just not good enough. And all of us that are concerned about mental health need to be really concerned about inequalities as well. And so, yeah, I think it's making sure that we, a friend used to say that we go where angels fear to tread, yeah, that, that we're not afraid to have conversations and that we are alert to the inequalities that exist and that we continually challenge ourselves and other people uh, to, to, to create the change, empowering other people to create the change um, and, and, and recognizing the importance of inequality. You mentioned about, um, you know, encouraging conversations and creating dialogue, not just around inequalities, but in general about mental health and mental health awareness. So how do you think we can better do that? So to me, I think it's, it's finding ways to, to just continually have that conversation, you know, whether it's, um, you know, I have a niece and a nephew and a great niece and a great nephew and I, not sitting down and going, we need to have a big conversation, but, you know, talking about what are the things that you enjoy? You know, what are the things that you want to do more of? What are the things that you don't enjoy? You know, how, you know, how do you know when you're feeling um, uh, tired or when you're feeling unwell and, and making sure, so my little nephew, he's very, very um, cute, young, um, and whenever he says, I'm not feeling very well, I, I was like, oh, is, it, is it your body or is it your head? Um, and when I first said, he said, you know, my head doesn't feel bad. And now every now and then he's like, mm, sometimes, sometimes it's my head and sometimes it's my knee. And, and it's just those things of just trying to create awareness wherever we go um, in the conversations. You know, he's, he's um, very little, but, you know, with adults and and just talking and understanding and, and, and building it in as part of everyday conversation so that people know that you're wanting to talk. People know that you're happy to talk. People know that you are not supportive of, of stigma. So, yeah, I, um, you hear people talking about people being mad or that's madness or that's crazy. And I'm like, it's lots of things. It might be wild. It might be inappropriate. It might be awful. It might be horrendous, but it's not crazy yeah it's yeah. not mad and and just trying to make sure that we are tackling that stigma wherever and however um however we see it but also encouraging people to think about their emotions think about their their brains and the interrelationship with their by minds and body and we'll all have different opportunities to do that and you know if you're a doctor um and you're talking to somebody about their physical health you know thinking about talking about that and their mental health so my Mum had cancer last year, and, and I don't remember anybody talking to her um, about how she was how how she feeling mentally about it. Lots of conversation about the physical change, um, and such a wasted opportunity. 
you know, and, and at the same time, you know, my dad, uh, you know, has, you know, the, the, he's, um, you know, almost 80, so has regular um, visits to the doctor. Um, since mum died, he's not had anybody who's, who said, you know, how are you doing mentally? You know, they're checking his blood pressure, they're doing his mm. feet, they're checking his back, but they're not checking his mind. And actually, again, that's a waste of opportunity, and that's in the medical field. You know, you can, if you're a hairdresser, or if you're, you know, sitting um, in, a, in, a, in a space with somebody as a mentor, as a coach, whatever it is, we've always got the opportunity to ask how people are to generate the conversations about um, mental health, about well-being. And I think COVID, actually, one of the things which certainly in the UK I've noticed is that more people are checking in with each other. They're checking how people are feeling. They're, they're doing more in their communities. And that's great. And that's something we want to try and take forward into whatever happens in this next phase of the pandemic and beyond. I think you, know, you mentioned something very important around like, you know, the language that we use and how like our semantics actually do matter. Like, you know, there's a lot of uh, controversy sometimes on Twitter that I see that, you know, some people will be like, no, 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 semantics don't matter. Semantics are just semantics. But I think as a mental health first aider, one of the things you do realize and you see firsthand and I think you even highlighted is how big a role it is the language that we use play into the stigma that you know goes around about mental health because many times we'll see individuals who are extremely racist or you know xenophobic they'll be called oh you know this person is just psychotic like these are psychotic views or or even around the term suicide using the phrase committed that is used a lot and how do you think we can better look out and help make people more aware about the way you know language plays a role towards mental health? Yeah. Well, you know, our language is how we communicate what we think and what we feel and what we value. And you know, whether that's the way that we talk about women or the way we talk about LGBT people or people of, of colour or disabled people or whatever, whatever it is we're talking about and communicating, it's language which demonstrates empathy and demonstrates care. And so that, I guess, is something which, which we just have to keep on talking, reminding, communicating, using that understanding, because I think it was only when I started working in mental health and I really was thinking about stigma that I realized just how exclusive and excluding language was around mental health. And so many of us, it's not that we intend to use language that is offensive or, or stigmatizing. We just haven't thought about it. And so as we learn, yes, um, Mayor Angelou, I think, wasn't he, said, you know, um, do your best until you know better and then do better. And, and so, so, so often I think we can end up in arguments about things, whereas actually sometimes it's just, did you know that when you say that it says X, Y, and Z? Because most of us don't want to be horrible. You know, most of us don't want to, to reinforce prejudice or reinforce cool. stigma. So I think it's that gentle piece, that gentle education piece, which we um uh should really just be thinking of and that's our our role as mental health first aiders in relation to 
um, what we can do with the knowledge that we learn on the courses to try to change the culture in which all of us are living. I think so much of it even starts in our classrooms, right? Like it's only like now that we know better around mental health that there are so many things that even I've picked up. For instance, you will have teachers telling kids and English teachers telling children that don't use the word sad. Why don't you say depressed? Or, you know, you say things like, oh, I'm not feeling worried, make it anxious. Or say, I'm, you know, like you see very casually these terms being used as adjectives. You know, the weather is not unpredictable. The weather is bipolar. So I think it's just about knowing and sort of having that awareness. And maybe it's also coming from educators, making them more aware of, you know, even the language that comes in day-to-day -day conversation. Because so many times you just don't know and you will say the word, I'm feeling depressed. But when you dig a little deeper, is it, it's so different from just being sad or feeling blue. Yeah, I, I think you, you absolutely made yeah, a really, really important point. And I think that actually, if you think about saying that you feel stress, stress is, stress is good. Stress is a performance uh, uh, enhancer to a certain level. Yes. And then stress becomes a problem. You know, feeling anxious is a usual response but it's when it becomes yeah, a, a problematic response and an anxiety disorder mm -hmm. that it is problematic. And so I guess it's, it's that clumsiness, isn't it? And, and the more that we can be precise about the language we use, the more that we can, can make sure that we're not trying to encourage um, creative language, because I suspect you know, the, the examples you just gave, mm -hmm. people are trying to get people it vocabulary to be widened yeah. but actually what that is doing is saying um giving false messages so you may not want somebody to say they're feeling sad all of the time but there are lots of other words mm -hmm. that demonstrate sad uh, or the equivalent of sad without moving them into a different set of words and a different set of meaning no because you know as we rightly said that it's not, these are not adjectives, you know, you don't use, you will not use the word cancerous to describe a person, but you would use bipolar to describe a person. So since when did it become okay in somewhere, you know, because we're taught that, you know, depressed is okay as an adjective, being bipolar is okay as an adjective, we feel that it's okay to describe people using those terms, but we would never use physical health conditions to describe people. So I think, you know, maybe that's something which definitely I think as a mental health first aider, we need to look out for more and sort of kindly, as you said, not be horrible, but politely tell the person that, hey, we can do better. Yeah, and there's a, 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 um, a phrase, isn't there? You know, speak the truth quietly and clearly. You, know, you don't have to challenge. It doesn't have to be yeah, uh, uh, yeah, ferociously done. It can just be, did you know? <laughs> yeah, or even, I know that we've often been taught that at school, but actually what that means is this, this yeah. and this. So, you know, I think there's a, a, a really important education job. It's, it's as simple as that, isn't it? That education job that we've got as, as people who've been trained. True. So I think, you know, moving forward, you made a uh, thing that how you noticed in the COVID that people were checking in more on each other. And, you know, we've seen mental health garner a lot of importance within conversations right now as well. 
So keeping in mind that, you know, we're heading for what everyone is calling a new normal, what is something you would like to see making its way into the new normal? So I really hope that we take this sort of growing awareness about the importance of creating, I guess, communities that care, you know, that, that care about ourselves, that care about each other, recognize our interdependencies. Yeah, we'll check in with each other, we'll provide support. And, and I, perhaps most importantly in that is sometimes we over rely on people who might need help to ask for it. So how do we flip that on its head and recognize and create cultures which lean into things? We know yeah, when there are difficult events, whether that's divorce or separation or bereavement or somebody's yeah, having a difficult time at work or whatever that is, rather than saying, just ask if you need anything, going, okay, I know that you're going to need food. I'm going to help with the shopping. Or, yeah, I know that you, if I ask if you want company, you'll say no. We're coming round, you know, to, to, to do X, Y, and Z, or, or take the dog for a walk, or, or, or look after the child for a while, whatever it is. So I think we can get better at going, I know that this that, that you may not ask for help. I know you may even refuse help if I offer it. So I'm going to just do some of those, those things. And, 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 I, and if we can become more aware of you know, that random acts of kindness yeah, that, that we so often talk about, that, that they can just change the world. And, and the Mental Health Foundation in the UK, um, they did some research last year at which over 75% of people said that they'd like to come out of the pandemic um, with more kindness in the world. And that's kindness towards them and then them doing more acts of kindness as well. So three quarters of, a pe three quarters of people and more in the UK saying, come on, let's, let's get better. So that would be my hope. I think that's really lovely. And, you know, I mean, just being kinder and, as you said, looking out for people because we do often, you know, tell people reach out, but maybe sometimes we forget that in that position, you're not really always in a position to be able to reach out. And some people also culturally may just resist help, right, because they believe that asking for that help makes them weak or makes you incompetent or less capable. Yeah. But, uh, so it's, it's, I guess it's um, so if we were to think about a, a, a phrase that would go with reach out so it'd be reach out and lean in yeah let's have more leaning in so that people have to reach out less that there are already people leaning into them I think that's really beautiful I think you know the whole reach out lean in concept so to wrap up our whole discussion today I'm going to ask you what would be your parting words Simon to anyone who's watching this or listening to this today who's having a hard time with their mental So nothing is too big or too small to talk about. And I say that because sometimes people are like, well, this isn't that bad. People down the road, this is happening. Somebody over there, that's happening. If it feels big, it's big. And sometimes people don't ask for help because it feels too big. And nothing is too big. There is always something that can be done. And there is always someone who is able to walk alongside you and work that out. So my mantra 
I think is nothing's too big or too small to talk about and to get help with. And please don't sit on your own because you know, there are always people who want to walk alongside, always people who want to do that. And, and just to do that, to, to live a bit of what we just talked about, the reach out, lean in. Yeah, so you just said, what would be your words to people who are, who are struggling with their mental health? I guess the other side of that would be, um, for all of us, there will be people around us who could do with a hug, who could do with some love, who could do with some kindness. So, so lean in so that those people know that you're there and that you're willing to do anything you can to help them and support them. I think that's been really nice. And I think, you know, as you said, you've given something for both sides of people to take out from this and take back home. So thank you, Simon, for all your time for having this conversation with us. I think it's been very enriching and very, very informative. And I'm sure anyone watching this is really going to benefit not just by understanding more about mental health and mental health first aid, but more around what we all can do as an individual at our own level to make a difference, whether it be at a micro or a macro level. So and lastly, for anyone who's watching this, if you're having a hard time with your mental health, just know that, you know, there is help out there. You don't have to suffer alone. Things do get better and you really deserve to feel better. So reach out and to everyone else who might know someone who's having a hard time, as Simon said, lean in, check in on someone. It can really make a big difference. So till next time, please stay well and stay healthy. Thank you.